0: I don't want to talk to you for a moment about uh, something that's near and dear to my heart and obviously has a place in your life where you wouldn't be listening to me saying this right now. And it's radio. Radio. There is a postage stamp coming out. I want you to buy some just because I, I want to help us broadcast broadcasting. Um, it was May 20th, 1920. So that's exactly 100 years ago today that members of something called the Royal Society of Canada gathered at the Chateau Laurier Uh, still in existence, of course, in Ottawa. And it was uh, for an event that was going to launch Canada into a new age. And the new age was the age of radio. And I, I think it shows in what I do that I've been fascinated with radio since I was a very little boy. I've never said this on the air, I don't think, at least not for many years, but I was so interested in radio before I could actually be in radio that I was a ham operator. I still have my license. Um, people don't use it much anymore. There are some people who fool around with computers, and over the air. they'll have ham operators. But uh, most of them are uh, older guys because... I was a very I was 15 when I got that license and I worked very hard for you had to write a test these days I guess not so much you had to know Morse code anyway these people 100 years ago were listening to a performance by a soprano Dorothy Luton um of <laughs> blessed memory I don't know who she was but uh it was broadcast live on XWA that was the name of the station XWA for experimental wireless apparatus And XWA was the first station in Canada. And there's an argument that's been going on for 100 years, by the way, that says it's the first commercial station ever to broadcast in the world. And the argument, I believe, is with KDKA Pittsburgh, for those of you who sometimes drive south that way. Anyway, XWA was the first station in Canada to receive an experimental radio license. And uh, the groundbreaking broadcast was transmitted from the Marconi Wireless Telegraph Company, of Canada's Factory Studio in Montreal. I remember that building as a kid. Uh, I never I never got to see it. Uh, and it was it was it went from Montreal over the air to Naval Radio Service in Ottawa, a receiving station, uh, and a large amplifier had been set up for the occasion in the hotel's ballroom in loudspeakers, in other words, which was n- no mean feat. Then I mean, now you got a little box and uh, you connect some heavy-duty speakers and uh, with a great big bass end, and you can have a rock band, and most people can afford it. In those days, doing that kind of thing was a big deal, and it was so big a deal that it was the initial launch of a medium that I think plays a great role in every one of our lives. And how we listen to radio compared to then is uh, evident in what you're doing right now, because some of you are listening on your cell phones, and some of you are listening uh, in your cars, and many of you are listening on uh, digital devices like Alexa and Echo, and uh, you're listening on computers, those kinds of things. And a lot of people, I might even say most people, don't have that device on the countertop in the kitchen anymore or anywhere else in the house called a radio. And, and when we were growing up, even those of you who are 40-ish, 35-ish, that was generally a feature of every household. These days, radio comes to you many different ways, but we're still doing something, and I would like to think that we're doing it well um, in connecting uh, neighbors in connecting people who share interests in the same community. And one of the reasons for talk radio, which is, I think, the most survivable radio, because music, you can get it from many sources, but what we do here with our telephone talk and and, uh, and so forth, and other stations uh, across the, the world do with talk radio, is we create the electronic equivalent of the backyard fence. The ability for people uh, who are neighbors but may not know each other to... Um, uh, go to that imaginary fence and talk about the same things or hear other people talk about them and and form opinions uh, of their own. So for you, forming opinions of your own. Now, here's a little bit more history for you. Later in 1920, XWA changed its call letters to CFCF for Canada's first, Canada's finest. Now, CFCF uh, was a great competitor of mine in Montreal. Um, I, I would have to say back in the day they went off the air. Some years ago, but uh, it, it was there were a couple of talk radio stations in Montreal. I was on the other one, the big one, and uh, and CFCF was well it was also a big one, and uh, it it went back to XWA days. So that was the first for Canada, and I would like to think because I wasn't there to see it that uh, the claim that we've made on our side of the border that we beat KDKA Pittsburgh on the air as first commercial station actually stands and should live in the record books. Anyway, in 1922... Uh, XWA began commercial broadcasting, and uh, that year uh, Montreal also saw CKAC uh, come on as the first licensed radio station in North America to offer French-language programming, because Montreal, of course, was, is a bilingual city. And uh, while early enthusiasts were mostly amateurs, like me, ham radio operators, who built their own equipment, radio caught on quickly with mainstream listeners, and uh, within uh, two years of Canada's historic first broadcast, there were 34 radio stations operating across Canada. And by the end of that decade, Canadians were tuning in on more than 300,000 radios. So, you know, we, we sometimes downplay it and because we live in 2020, where uh, we carry a computer in our pocket and we call it a, a smartphone, um, the, the basis for the communications aspect of all of this comes down to two Essential things, and one is Alexander Graham Bell and the invention of the telephone, and the other is, uh, I suppose, Guglielmo Marconi, Uh, and the invention of radio, uh, broadcast not broadcasting so much as radio transmission. We're the guys uh, who invented broadcasting. In other words, one point to many points. So we have a great, big, powerful transmitter, and you receive it. And the way you get on the air is by phoning us. There are other stations where they don't do telephone talk or any other kind of talk. But uh, that's how fast it grew. That was the medium in the day, and uh, happily, we're 100 years into the future. I am no longer an amateur, uh, and uh, we're doing this today, and uh, we have a lot of you with us and enjoying it, and I'm happy about that. So we have this stamp, and I guess that's the reason why I'm, I'm bringing it up, and the fact that this is the 100th anniversary day, and I think very important to all of us. The stamp was designed by Soapbox Design. It was illustrated by Oliver Burston. It was printed by Lo Martin. The uh, issue's pair of... Uh, of basically tenant stamps, two joined stamp designs, uh, showcases a selection of earliest 20th century radio broadcasting equipment and receiving devices and booklets of 10 permanent domestic rate stamps. Five of each design are available along with an official First day cover. So if you're uh, either very interested in radio and like something that's suitable for framing or very interested in stamp collecting, does anybody do that anymore? I imagine so. Um, stamps and collectibles are available at canadapost.ca. That's where you want to go. And uh, you, can, you can basically uh, follow the links and, uh, and find your way to high-resolution images so you can print them and so forth. But I thought that this was really worthy of uh, a little bit uh, from me on a day like this. Because it's momentous. A hundred years is a big deal, and I won't be here. But in a hundred years, we'll be talking. Somebody will be talking about two hundred years, and I would bet you that in one form or another, there will still be radio. All right, I want to finish out the show uh, with something that came my way. Some of you have already caught this on social media, but it's uh, it, it came my way from somebody who sent it to me with the uh, the caption "lovely" on top of it, uh, and and it came from this person in the United States of all things. And yet what it is, is uh, the product of some voices from Vancouver, British Columbia. And it's the Phoenix Chamber Choir. And I thought it was uh, good enough to play you the whole version. This is uh, about two and a half minutes long. And it's uh, it's a play on The Longest Time, the Billy Joel song. Only this is called Longest Time Quarantine Edition. Let's listen. One,
1: two, three. One, two, three. for the longest time
0: addition i thought that was uh, cute enough to feature the whole thing and i hope you enjoyed it we talked yesterday uh with sean cullen i remember about the need to uh, lighten up a little bit we're in tough times and every once in a while we have to uh take a pause and uh, giggle a little bit and i think that did it thanks so much for joining me today peter sherman will be back tomorrow at nine o'clock and thank you as well to mary feely for producing the show and to dave spargallo